Well, friends, um, we're going over, continuing our series here in the Gospel of Mark. And what we've been witnessing in the Gospel of Mark is that as we understand the life of Jesus more and as we understand his ministry more, you understand what is really on Jesus' heart. He came into this world to leave a mark, a very particular mark in our lives, a mark of grace, a mark of peace, a mark of hope. And none other captures this than understanding this idea of Sabbath, of rest. And that's what we're going to take a look at and explore in our passage today, coming from uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 23, and then we'll end it at chapter 3, verse 6. If you want to open up your places there or on your phones, and once you find your places there, if I can ask you, for those who are able, to please stand with me as you read God's word, as I read God's word to you. These are God's holy, inspired, and life-giving words. Let's give them our full attention today. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are, the, uh, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. Amen. Thus goes the reading of God's word. May he continue to bless it for us. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Friends, please be seated. So Easter celebrates the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's all true. And it's all real. The resurrection means you can rest. You can rest. The resurrection ultimately means you can rest. This isn't about catching up on sleep, although I would love to take a nap. It's not about that. We're talking about what the Bible calls shalom, a deep, satisfying peace that everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. It is rest for your soul. And this idea of rest and peace can be yours. If you truly grasp this idea of Sabbath, this idea of Sabbath, we're going to explore this in three ways in our passage today. First of all, who is the Lord of rest? Second, unless we grasp the first point, 
It exposes restless lords. And last of all, how can our lives be restored? A life that's being restored. Let's look at the first point here. Lord of rest. Keeping the Sabbath was an Old Testament command given to God's people on the last day of the week, which was Saturday, that they rested from all forms of work. You, you couldn't farm, you couldn't go grocery shopping, you couldn't fix up your house. It was a strict, strict law, this idea of Sabbath keeping. Because the Sabbath was set aside to worship God. Keep the Sabbath. It incorporates rest into the rhythm of life for the Israelites. You have to wonder here, why does this have to be a command? Don't people intuitively know that they should take breaks and rest? And yet for some reason, God commanded this to be a Sabbath, there to be a Sabbath. You know, you would think this would be intuitive until you start having kids for the first time. It boggles my mind that you have to teach kids how to sleep, create routines for them. You buy these sound machines that spill out creepy white noise of static, and yet it's the sound of dreams for them. Rest should be intuitive. Yet even to the adult years, it's a struggle to where, to where that they now have devices and technology of sleep rings and bracelets to help keep track of body and heartbeats making sure that you get the best optimal sleep. Optimal is just a, a, another word for work in sheep's clothing to me. Before there was a tech industry, there was a God who understood the technology of our hearts to weave into it this idea of rest, rest for our very beings. Jesus and his disciples, they're walking through the grain fields, and on the Sabbath day in particular, the disciples start to pluck the heads of grains like you would pluck out strawberries and most likely eating them. It was a mindless activity for them. The Pharisees see this and they ask in verse 24, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Why are they doing what's not lawful? That one's new. So far, every accusation the Pharisees have given before is, why are, why are you forgiving sins? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why are you healing? Yet here, they specifically add, you're doing something unlawful. It was considered a capital offense to break the Sabbath. This is a serious accusation that they're bringing against Jesus and his disciples. And in response to this, how does Jesus respond? Verse 25, have you never read what David did? Those are fighting words. It's like telling tech people, do you even code? Jesus gives a history lesson here. He references Abiathar. Have you never read at the time of Abiathar? And this is a reference point because it wasn't Abiathar that was the high priest. It was actually his father, uh, Ahimelech. And Jesus gives us history, where during this time, David is not officially the king, but God anoints him as one. He's not officially king, but he's anointed as God's king. So Saul, who is king at the time, tries to take away David's life. David becomes a fugitive, and in exhaustion, he stops by the sanctuary at a priestly city called Nob, and he asks the high priest Ahimelech at that time, if they have any food. 
And what Ahimelech offers David is the bread of presence. This is holy bread. Twelve unleavened breads to uh, represent the twelve tribes of Israel. And only the priests could eat of this bread. For everyone else, it's unlawful. The bread of presence represents God's covenant that he would be with his people and that he would be the one sustaining them. But why was David given this bread at the time? You know what it is? The high priest Ahimelech understood this is God's truly anointed king that will bring about a greater kingdom. In a sense, David was a type of figure, a sustainer at that moment. David eating the bread wasn't unlawful, but pointed to a greater purpose. Jesus takes this history lesson a step further, and he says in verse 28, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Jesus says, I am a God of rest. I am a God of rest. That Jesus is the bread of presence who truly sustains who sustains you. Guys, who truly sustains you? Who truly sustains you? As a pastor, I'm supposed to say that it's God who sustains you, but if you examine my thought life and the way that I think, you might think otherwise. Uh, a lot of times I talk to different pastors and I ask about what's going on in the life of their church and they, they, they tell me awesome things about how, they're, how they have a new discipleship program going on, how they're be, being able to raise up new leaders at their church, how they just finished a financial campaign and, and, and God just uh, generously provided. And outwardly I say, oh man, that's such a blessing, how wonderful. But internally, I feel like I'm on Shark Tank. And these are all the things that I need to be thinking about. And my heart starts racing. Oh no, where's my leadership? Oh no, what's the finances here? It starts beating. Then I talk to people. They tell me how great their pastors are. And, and you know, pastors, their pastors are very charismatic. Their teaching is very good. They're so good at leadership. They got all these different qualities. And out, again, outwardly, I say, wow, that's such a blessing. That's wonderful. Internally, I say, I do this too, man. You know? And I just think to myself, I've got to be all these things. Otherwise, how's church going to be sustained? When it's God who truly says in Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds his house, the people labor in vain. I share this with you because you're my friends. But also at the same time, I know you can't be that different. The minute that Google uh, uh, laid off thousands of people, what happened? Everyone started clocking in the office. Even though they had remote jobs, they clocked in. They put in that extra hours. They showed up early. No one had to tell them. Why? Because I've got to be on top of things. Then there's the whole mommy guilt that uh, some of us may feel, that you're not doing enough for your kids, you're not doing enough for your spouse, you're not doing enough for yourself. But I've got to make this work somehow. I, 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 I've got to sustain. Everyone is looking for sustainability. 
when in reality, what we really need is a sustainer. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord of rest. And unless you accept this, you will become a restless Lord. Which brings us to the second point here. Jesus doubles down on his Lord of the Sabbath business. He enters into the synagogue and summons a man with a withered hand. And Jesus presents his case in verse 4. He asks, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? What does the prosecution say? Silent. They went silent. As far as the Pharisees were concerned, Jesus did not have to heal this man on the Sabbath. It's not like this was a life or death situation for this man. Jesus could have waited for the next day. And yet as Jesus reads the room, it says in verse 5, he was angered and grieved at their hardness of heart. This is like the uh, concerning anger. It's like if you crash your parents' car, your parents are both upset and they're worried for you at the same time. Are you okay? Why weren't you watching the road? That's what I feel like is the mood here. Why are the Pharisees, why do the Pharisees care so much about this Sabbath keeping here? Enough, so much enough to give out the death sentence. Why do they care so much? When God created in the span, when God created in the span of six days, Genesis, uh, Genesis 1 or Genesis 2 says he rested on the seventh day. This doesn't mean he pulled up a lazy chair and took a nap. Rest was God's enjoyment of his completed work, of a completed order. He was admiring his masterpiece. And ever since Genesis 3, the fall, everything comes undone. We have politics, and the whole thing about politics is how do you govern people so that everyone benefits, and yet no matter what kind of ideologies people come up with, the smartest minds, there's still homelessness, there's still abuse, things are left undone. Our relationships, they fall apart, families aren't, are, are, are affected, nothing is complete. When God created the Sabbath ordinance in the Old Testament, it was a sign that God will once again bring his creation into completion. Only God can do this. And if you trust in this promise, to trust in this promise meant you have to keep the Sabbath. To work on the Sabbath was a breach of faith. It was an act of treason. And by working on the Sabbath at that time, meant you were trusting in your own salvation. You were trusting in your own works to provide salvation. The Pharisees, they were overreacting here. They were acting how they should. The problem is, they missed the point. They missed the point. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, which means Jesus is fulfilling God's promise to bring us into uh, completion. That's what they miss. Unless you trust this, you will become a restless Lord. The Atlantic, they came out with this article saying that we have now the most prevalent generation who have been burned out. Burned out. We have the most burned out generation that we see. 
One psychoanalyst describes burnout this way. He says, the exhaustion experienced in burnout combines with the intense yearning for the state of completion. Completion. With the tormenting sense that it cannot be attained, that there is always some demand or anxiety or distraction which can't be silenced. You know what that sounds like? Restless lords. A longing for a Sabbath rest completion. He goes on to say that the warning signs, or the warning signs up front that you're burning out, he calls it melancholic world weariness. Melancholic world weariness. Just try putting that in your dating profile. I'm sure you'll get all the hits. Melancholic world worldliness. Or, or melancholic world weariness. And yet, is this not the feeling when you realize your life will never be enough? Your life never will be enough, nor can be enough. Nothing in our lives are really sustainable. It's really not. It's about as realistic as having control. You know what sustainability really looks like for us? It looks like this. Living life right around the corner. Living life right around the corner. Here's what I mean by this. We wait for our kids to just grow a little bit older so that they can be a little bit more dependent. And once they get there, I'll finally be able to make time for my marriage and show up for that uh, when they're almost sufficient. It's just right around the corner. Just wait till my career gets settled just a little bit and I'll have more free time to volunteer and do all this stuff. It's just right around the corner. Wait till I'm married, wait till I graduate right around the corner. We're looking and waiting for what's right around the corner rather than the day that God has actually specifically given. And the thing is, we're just not nice people when we're just in a rush with our lives, when we live life right around the corner. My kids ask me all the time, can you play with me? Can you play with me? And on this week, as I have Good Friday and Easter and all these different things to prepare, those words were irritating for me. Can you play with me? And I felt both guilt, both guilt and also a reasonableness that I got a lot of work to do. But the thing is, why aren't I treasuring the fact that my kids still want to play with me? Like, I only have five more years of this before they turn into, before they start, before they start asking, can you give me money, right? <laughs> like, why can't I embrace the time as it is? You know what it is? I'm living life right around the corner. Right around the corner. To trust God as Lord of the Sabbath means you stop looking around the corner, but simply being faithful for where you're at giving thanks for where God places you. It's done in faith. And yet it's this kind of faith that God is longing to restore in us. Which brings us to the last point here. Life restored. Jesus calls the man, withered hand. Verse 3, come here. The literal words here are, rise to the middle. Jesus is making a public spectacle here. And what I find intriguing about this whole healing miracle is how nowhere in this passage does it indicate 
this man ever even asked for the healing to begin with. All the other people before this, they had demon possessions, they had paralysis, they came to Jesus and they begged to heal him. Not this man. Maybe internally that's what he was hoping for, but he never verbally asks. And yet, isn't this the gift of what salvation is really like? God answering prayers that we never really asked for to begin with. You ask for a race, he gives you an inheritance. You ask for a spouse, God adopts us. You ask for safety, he gives you himself. You ask for comfort, he restores your soul. A withered hand meant that this man was useless to his society to contribute. But this was also the reflection of his spiritual condition, that he was useless before God. He had nothing to offer. And yet herein lies the problem for all of us. Because as I look at you, you look like very capable people. You look like you have certain skill sets. So you must have something you can offer. But the one place, I guarantee you, the one place you find your soul withered, you find it shriveled up, you find that you have nothing to offer, is the place of suffering. It is pain. You and I are truly helpless in this state. And there's two choices you have in this. One, you can either recycle your pain. You receive the hurt, you'll give the hurt in return. You ignore me, I'll ignore you. There's generational problems for a reason. Pain can either be recycled, or secondly, it could be transformed. Only God can do the latter. Jesus commands the man in verse 5, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. And in this public act, Jesus is displaying the Lord of the Sabbath is the beginnings of the new creation being complete in an incomplete world of injustice and suffering, who takes away the melancholic world weariness. Everything about our world withers, but God refuses to let you wither because Jesus uses his hands in order to ensure and guarantee this that the cross, the hands of Jesus, were nailed to a cross. They became useless. In the resurrection, Jesus resurrects to new life. He uses his very hands, and what does he use it for? To feed his disciples. Friends, the Lord's Supper is a reminder that God uses his gracious hands to feed us, to sustain us, to remind us who truly is, this, who truly is our sustainer. Jesus shows Thomas, his disciples, who has doubts, look in my hands. He shows the power of the resurrection, pain being transformed. Jesus rose from the grave so that you and I can rest. In Christ, you are enough. In Christ, there is nothing left to be other than to be loved by him. I'll end with this line from Anne Lamont. She put it this way. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And yet lucky for you, 
Easter comes every time you realize who truly is Lord of the Sabbath. Find your rest in Him. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, this idea of resting, if only it were so simple, it's hard to just rest when we're just lying still because we think about all the things that we need to do and accomplish what we need to be, be more enough of. And when we thank you for the gracious promise of the resurrection hope, that there really is nothing left to be other than to be loved by you. Jesus, transform our pain to be reminded we are not useless in your hands, but very useful. Thank you for your gracious hands that sustains us day in, day out. The very same hands that are folded in prayer to answer the prayers that we then have neglected to even pray for to begin with. That you answer all of them. Thank you for the hope of resurrection. Would it give us peace and rest for our souls? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.